0: to the show today. Uh, We are looking through the State of Theology, which is a survey that Ligonier Ministries uh, puts out every two years. You can find it at thestateoftheology.com. One of the cool things about this survey is that you can take it yourself or you can create a group survey. If you look on the left-hand side of the screen as you enter on the website, you'll see how to do that. And we are on question 27 today, or statement number 27, and it's this. Sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. And then the respondents on this one, evangelicals, uh, 78% strongly agreed with that statement. That's pretty good considering uh, some of the trends we've seen in evangelicalism lately.
1: I think what, what you'll find in God's Word is that despite the fact that this has become a matter of indifference in much of our society, that there's a sense of, well, I'm not going to try to micromanage what's going on in somebody's life. If this works for them, then they can just do that. It's not really my concern what, what's, you know, what they're doing. It's fascinating to me that God does not take that approach. Mm-hmm. Really, from cover to cover, God does care about human sexuality, um, our sexual activity, and gives clear guidelines in the Old Testament and in, in the law very clear prescriptions of this in the book of of Leviticus, but throughout, um, a couple days ago, Josh had mentioned the teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians about how, what are proper, improper sexual relations between people. So I think at just a base level, we we can say that this is not a matter of indifference to God. Mm Mm-hmm because his word clearly delineates out what is proper or improper sexual relations. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe eventually we need to su- circle back to, well, why? Why does it matter so much to God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I, obviously when this topic comes up, you know, we need to uh, talk about the sexual revolution and uh, the change in our, in our culture over the last 50 years uh, and a lot of young younger people in particular don't even know that there's been a radical change in our culture uh in, in, in fact of the four of us in the room only jonathan and i remember the 1960s and we were mere children at the time someday i, was, I do yeah.
1: want to hear you guys's relationship with jonathan edwards I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, was. yeah
2: John, johnny was an awesome guy we'll tell you about that someday but um anyway uh Up until the 1960s, uh, in American culture, there was still a pervasive Christian understanding of sexuality, regardless of to what extent people lived up to it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, throughout human history, there's never been a generation that fully and completely uh, lived up to it. And our Savior Jesus told us, if you've ever looked with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So there's no one out there who is sexually pure. Yeah. And not in need of God's grace. But uh, up until the 1960s, there was a, a, there was a universal assumption in our culture uh, that uh, sex, sexual intimacy is to be reserved for marriage and, and the marriage of a man and a woman. And it was— Biologically born man and a woman. Uh, yes. This, we have to say that you at this point. You have to say that now. You have to say that now. And uh, anyway, since the 1960s, that's been tossed out the window— so that today, many young people don't, don't know that there is a standard at all. And, uh, but the simple fact is that the standard of God's word, that a, a man shall, well, it's in the book of Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Um, the, the, the one flesh union, the, the physical intimacy of husband and wife right from the beginning. And Jesus quotes that from the book of Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 6 uh, when he's teaching about sexual ethics. Throughout the Bible is the assumption that sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage. And, and this is not some kind of a horrible limitation on us, it's life-giving. It, it is. And the
1: opposite of is life destroying.
2: And the opposite is life destroying. Absolutely.
1: You're you're kind of getting at, at this whole idea of why marriage matters so much, um, and you kept going back to creation. So mm-hmm. maybe it would be helpful to just talk about what marriage is and what it symbolizes. The whole idea of it being a creation ordinance, because uh, yes. I do think that matters.
2: That, that, absolutely that matters because the therefore in Genesis in, in Genesis 2, the therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two become one. Whenever, as I like to tell folks at our church, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you ask, what is the therefore therefore? What's the assumption that came before it? And the assumption that comes before it is the creation of humanity as male and female. God created them in the beginning in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. And you're absolutely right, Russ. It's a creation ordinance that God has created humanity, male and female. And therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one.
1: And how does this play into what Paul says in in Ephesians 5 with regard to marriage? Paul reframes the whole argument, and he he basically says at the end of Ephesians 5, he
0: says, uh, this is a profound mystery. And you kind of get the idea he's talking about husband and wife at first, because that's been the flow I mean, of course, he, he grounds the husband's duties in, you know, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and wife, you need to submit to your husband as uh, the church submits to Christ. So so you kind of get the idea, well, he's talking about husband and wife, but then he says, this is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So so human marriage um, ultimately is is telling a gospel story about the love between Christ and the church. and And just... As a footnote, this is ultimately why things like homosexuality and transgenderism is, is wrong. And I think this is important because I think there's been a whole generation of Christians where it's like their basic argument against homosexuality is that it, it's gross. And so it has that ick factor in it. And the problem with that type of apologetic is once you meet a homosexual person who's a decent person, who has decent values outside of their sexuality, that ick factor disappears. And then, and then you're persuaded, well, m- maybe homosexuality is not that bad because I know some decent homosexual people, but that's not how the Bible argues. Uh, every institution that God has created tells a story about the gospel, and if we lie about that, that, that's that's where the immorality rests.
1: And I just want to just just hammer home this idea that the relationship of Christ and the church is the principal relationship, and human marriage and sexuality is a is a picture of that reality. Yeah. God didn't create marriage and then say, oh, you know what? That's kind of handy. That's a good picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. Christ and the church is the original, Yes, and marriage mirrors that. And I think that order does matter, and I think that's what Paul is is saying in Ephesians 5, that why does human—how we engage in sexual relations matter so much— Because it's a reflection, or marriage and and our proper human sexuality is supposed to reflect the reality of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's not—and then throughout the entire Old Testament, there's this imagery of when the church wasn't faithful, what they were— accused of it's is adultery, adultery. Yeah. spiritual adultery and yes. that actually goes into the new testament that imagery yeah. didn't die in the old testament the yeah. same imagery is in the new testament right. and so it's a serious thing adultery spiritually and adultery sexually and just in, in day-to-day life and this does inform our ethic um
0: as husbands and wives so coming down from christ and the church to husband and wife relationships. So the statement we're looking at is sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. Okay, fine. So we got that. So now that we're in marriage, uh, what should should sex look like? What well, should look like the relationship between Christ and the church on one level, which means as Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 7, Sex is not merely a physical act. That, that's what the, the world teaches us, you know, according to the, the lines of Darwinian evolution and, uh, materialistic universe. Sex is much deeper than that. It's a combining of, of the flesh, of course, but of the mind, of the affections, of the will. Um, and Paul lays this out. And Paul's not ashamed to tell husbands and wives how they're to relate to one another. So Christian husbands and Christian wives, if you're treating this act like it's a purely physical act, that's wrong. I mean, let take your cues from the Scripture on on how we should relate to husband and wives. Uh, this is this is vital to Paul.
1: Mm-hmm. It is a union where two become one, and it's not just a, like Josh is saying. It's not just physically that there is spiritual, emotional, um, whole person unity that occurs, and that's why there's so much negative things that flow out of. People that are sexually promiscuous, because what happens is, without knowing it, they're they're united to people over and over Mm -hmm. again. And that's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you're united to a prostitute. Well, you're carrying all this baggage from all of that. And sometimes without knowing what's happening, um, unfortunately, engaged in, in activity that maybe you haven't thought through
2: Mm-hmm. All of the implications of you mentioned Paul uh, in First Corinthians six, um, and the Paul, Paul giving the example of a, a man uh, having sex with a prostitute, and he's probably referring to a, a, a temple prostitute. Uh, there were in pagan worship rituals there were sex acts involved in in many of the temples. But what Paul indicates is that even even something as seemingly businesslike as the union of a man with a prostitute, even that engages a spiritual element, a spiritual union.
0: As you're saying, it's not mere transactional.
2: It's not just a, yeah, it's not just a transaction. Yeah.
0: You know, um, and and when we think about this, you know, the Bible's clear, you know, the one, the unitive, factor, also the procreation factor, and there is a recreational factor there, too, that um, the Bible says, don't deprive yourself of one another. And even the book of um, Song of Songs, the the pure delights of that relationship that God has created, Solomon, you know, made some mistakes in this regard, but he writes a book that relates entirely to that. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been listening to Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.